interesting in the hero's journey. I just got the, the latest edition of Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey, which is like a simplified version of the model. Uh, and I'm writing about the, the atonement of the father is one of the things that Joseph Campbell mapped out as being all of the classic stories in history as being a really, really big thing exhibits in different ways, but ultimately being able to have a parent recognize that the wrong path that you took actually worked out. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have live on the line with me, Nate Wright. Nate, are you there? Yep. Awesome. And we were just talking before the interview, you actually live in the town I was born in, which is uh, pretty cool. I got family that lives out there in Southern California. Um, so, you know, cool to have you on from there. And for uh, our listeners who are following along, we are still uh, stuck in our travels in Kissimmee, Florida, but we did finally get an outdate. We can start to travel a little bit with this whole crisis thing that's been going on. How's the... Uh, Price has been treating you out there in SoCal. It's uh, just a lot of uncertainty still. Like we're opening, yeah. we're not opening. I've I've got a kid in school, so it's it's the uh, uh, the waiting game constantly. Yeah, yeah. Waiting to see what's going to happen, and and of course smoke. We were getting you know yesterday with like a Martian. Oh yeah, all the fires outside the house. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my, my dad lives up in uh, Fresno area and I called him on FaceTime yesterday and I was just completely orange. It was really weird looking. Oh yeah. So hopefully you guys are doing all right with all the fires and everything and staying safe. Yeah. No, staying safe. We're in a relatively safe spot. We're right next to Camp Pendleton. So they don't let fires last that long. You're, when you're next to yeah, them. Yeah. They don't want to blow up all the military <laughs> stuff really quickly. So. <laughs> So um, one of the things that just because you mentioned being next to Camp Pendleton, um, where we grew up in uh, across the valley in Marietta Temecula, I remember growing up and whenever they did their uh, war games type stuff, you could hear the bombs going off um, of things that they were testing. And they'd always have like notifications over the radio or the TV. They'd be like, hey, just so you know, don't call the police. That's just Camp Pendleton running in this test. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, it's basically it's a couple it's even worse if you're on now. Actually, yeah, yeah, that it goes all the time. I'm, I'm right next to one of the the back gate, uh, one of the gates of Camp Pendleton, and it's uh, it's pretty constant. You know, they really like yeah. blowing things up. The loud booms. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> something like should like shake the house status though. It's like, it's like is this an earthquake oh, nice. yeah, or are they just exercising again? <laughs> yeah, it's it a little much sometimes. Cool. So I, I, 
I'm still appreciative of having him so close. It's, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, let me go ahead and uh, and go through your bio here real quick for our listeners who don't know who you are. So Nate Wright is a business copywriter and email marketing expert. His unapologetically human approach to the discipline has been featured by MailChimp, MailShake, Pitch Anything, and Bloomberg. Nate lives in Oceanside, California with an idiot mutt, a blind doshound, a feisty teenage daughter, and an oh-so-patient wife, which sounds like a lot of fun. We currently have uh, three daughters and a son and a dog and a cat and a baby raccoon that we're taking care of in a 40-foot RV. So same kind of crazy going on over here. Sounds not prudent that's the nicest way to say that sounds great man it sounds crazy it is it's a a very busy household oh (laughs) very busy household but you know it's a it's it's good for us so uh with that quick introduction nate what i want to start off with is um who you are now right what's your business like who do you serve what are your primary like services that you offer like basically what do you sell who do you sell it to uh I sell email to businesses. I would say about half of it is, uh, you know, people selling stuff online. So you think of like MailChimp, Campaign Monitor, Klaviyo. So so online stores. And the other half is business to business. So people trying to sell services, consulting, more complex and more expensive stuff via email. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of, that's roughly the split there. Some of it's copywriting, some of it's execution, some of it's tech sex setup, but it's all email and things that touch email. So we'll, you know, we're not LinkedIn, the most knowledgeable LinkedIn people in history, but we know a ton about LinkedIn because it's one of our weapons of choice when running email campaigns. So awesome. So so just yeah. out of curiosity, with the email stuff, are you running um, pre-transaction, like sales stuff to people who have opted in, or are you doing like post-transaction follow-up to create more sales? Like, like what's your, all your focus or all, anything at all? Yeah, all, all, the, all above? the above. So we, we chose to years ago and we decided to niche down from Jackson Jill's of all trades into something specific. We thought about going industry specific, but the last minute we opted for a discipline specific approach. We just focus on email and and making that piece of people's world work a little better. So we'll even touch things like transactions, yeah, yeah. Um, deliverability, stuff like that. It keeps us pretty busy. And I, I noticed I missed the business name in the bio. So it's inbox attack and you said we is it you guys have a, an organization or is it just you or how does uh, how's yeah, that going? How's that work? I've got a couple of business partners that uh they're basically all former interns that kept showing up over and over day after day, and now they were all equal partners. So uh, one of them's in Texas, Seth, and he runs the e-commerce side of the email business. Other one's David. He's in LA, and he runs the uh, B2B side, and I run more of the big picture and the copywriting piece. So the actual content creation piece is more of mine. And- realm we've got a and they got our, promotion coming on podcasts like this yeah yeah it's uh we, we like playing with podcast booking emails it's it's one of the few areas where we could get a little well we could break a lot of rules <laughs> so it's like so yeah we, we've done some stuff that looking back on i was like that was not a good idea 
Like how many cuss words could I fit into one email and get past the spam filter just for fun? Uh, no, but we, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that's honestly one of our, hmm, I want to say it's the most unique thing that we do. But it's an area that we're investing a lot more time in and energy in right now in the business is to is how to help people in the business world raise their influence and and, and raise their status, uh, and mm-hmm. less about the Instagram paid influencer world and more about business influence. And podcasts are one of many areas to do that. Uh, not for everyone, but it's something that's been good to us. And, you know, we've tried hosting a couple podcasts over the years and we're really bad. (laughs) So we're happy. I'm happy being a guest. It's really nice. I have to do all the other stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a very good listener. uh, That's (laughs) actually, I I had uh, the, the thing that I, I discovered in my life is that I wanted to run this show. And then we got like eight episodes into it. And I realized that I was terrible at everything that you have to do after you hit the stop record button. Um, so I built a business that did all of that thing. Um, oh, wow. And uh, so we run a podcast, a full service podcasting agency, um, where we handle everything that happens after someone hits the stop record button for them all the way through. Um, and I did that mostly because I didn't want to do it for my show. And now we have an agency that does it. Um, so anyways, I get it. I didn't, I'm not, I'm terrible yeah, at the whole no, podcasting uh... thing too, but I am really good at this part, the interviewing, that's it. It's the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm good about writing about it. Uh... And I, and I know enough to, and that's the problem. I know enough to be dangerous in most areas and dangerous being the key, key term here. I've gotten, and I still to this day end up in projects. Like what was I thinking? I know that I'm not good at this. Why am I like, you know, 50 hours into this project right now? What was I thinking? But you know, I'm a slow <laughs> learner. That is a, that is a lesson that we all have to struggle with. And I think the, the longer I get into business, the more I realize like the, the shorter that amount of time is getting when I get into a project instead of like 50 hours. Now it's like 10 hours before I'm like, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't be here doing this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, uh, we so apply getting better. Well, that's one of the benefits of having business partners right now is it's a really good uh, sanity check. So we have, you know, we have no fly zones for types of projects and types of clients we won't work with. And that no fly zone has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'll buy one business, one of the partners like, oh, man, like these guys have a, a lot of money and I think we'd really be able to rock the project. And I was like, yeah, but they're an MLM. And we said, Years ago, we would never, ever, 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 ever do that again. So it's nice to have kind of that some accountability partners. It's not just they're not just friends. Like yeah. they have a, a very heavy stake in the outcome. Uh, yeah, we had a terminated relationship with one of our biggest clients in the history of our business this past year. Yeah, no flies on the thing. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So what I want to find out from you then, Nate, mm -hmm. is how you got into this business of email, right? So we talk um, on this show all the time, you know, every good comic books hero has an origin story, right? It's yeah. the thing that made them into the hero they are today. We want to hear that story, basically. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you fall in love with writing, copywriting, and email? Um, or did you uh, start in a job and eventually move to becoming an entrepreneur? Uh, basically, we want to know where you came from and how you, uh, how you got inbox attacks started. Uh, I needed to make rent, honestly. Uh, that's that's the, the, the shortest verse. I needed to make rent, and I had done a lot of boring writing. <laughs> as like a middle manager when I was in the Air Force. You know, I was an officer in the Air Force and it was basically just yeah. a lot of paperwork, sent a lot of emails and I spent a little bit of time as a headhunter uh, after the military and I was okay at it. And that involved sending a lot of emails and basic really, really rudimentary marketing and a whole lot of sales dialing for dollars. Um, and I needed to make rent and I called, uh, one of my old clients up from a company I worked for for about a year. And I was like, hey, I'm hard up for money. Do you have anything that needs doing? I'm desperate. And he's like, well, I'm opening a new store. I said, okay, I'll work on that. That's what I did. So uh, just a lot of late nights learning, basically taking the list of all the things they said they needed and just figuring it out. You know, everything from, I remember staying up till three in the morning trying to figure out how to you know, modify rocket theme templates, old Joomla templates, you know, years ago. And I remember, oh, I remember rocket theme. That was a long time ago. Yep. Yep. They were a big player back in the day. Not so much anymore. But, uh, you know, then, you know, figuring out Facebook before they even had an ad platform and, and, and Twitter and MailChimp. And uh, eventually uh, I had, ended up working at a screenwriting school in Seattle. And I had gone to their three-week like boot camp program, which was phenomenal. Such a good program. You know, six days a week, 12 hours, 14 hours a day of just writing. And it was brutal, like brain melting, wow. <laughs> like brutal. But I learned I learned yeah. a whole lot about the structure behind writing and the psychology and the mythology and all like the hero stuff that you're talking about. I learned all about that and had forgotten about it for a while. And I I connected with the executive director and they needed they needed to have postcards about the school put into Starbucks. Starbucks say, hey, we're not going to give your nonprofit money. We're going to let you have a little itty-bitty space and 10 Starbucks stores. And eventually, it became 20. And we, have to, we, and we, and we had, had to go and refill for $60 a month. I refilled postcards at the Starbucks. Then they said, hey, Nate, do you know how to do this Facebook stuff? And I was like, sure. Super didn't. Figured that out. Hmm, maybe we should get a newsletter. Nate, can you know how to do that? Sure. I super didn't know how to do that. And over time, I got better and better at it. And one of my interns there, Seth, now owns a third of the company. He does all the newsletter stuff now. And uh, But ultimately, I just needed to make rent. And uh, I was a full-time single dad, so I couldn't really have a regular job. So that's... <laughs> Circumstance. They say necessity is the mother of invention, right? I suppose. There was a lot of Craigslist. I remember yeah. uh, for a while there, I would 
uh, I had a, I bought a big old, it was a 1979 Ford F-150, like a beer bottle brown pickup truck for like 800 bucks in Seattle because gas was like $5 a gallon back then. So everyone was getting rid of their gas guilds. It was like, I'll take it. Like not very smart. You know, my, <laughs> I'm a writer, not a mathematician, but I got it anyways. And <laughs> in order to pay for gas and that big old gas guzzler, I would uh, haul trash for people. If someone needed something hauled away in Craigslist, they'd give me like, you know, 80 bucks. So enough to basically cover gas, a little bit of beer money and the dump fee. And I, and I'd get in my, my, my button down shirt and drive to my office job that I had at the time. And during my lunch break, I go empty out the back of the truck at the dump down the road, clean myself off in the bathroom and go back to work. And I did that for years. Nice. Yeah. It's uh so super glamorous. Whole, whole journey of, of learning how to be like a, uh, you know, a Jack of all trades, so to speak in the marketing world. When did you make mm-hmm. the decision to niche down into email? Um, specifically, and how did that niching down sort of impact your? Uh, it it was a combination of what we were good at, what we could sell, the stuff I'm good at that I'm not good at selling, and uh, and also just demand, like where 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 the market was going, and it seemed like something that wasn't platform independent, like email is uh, vendor and platform and agnostic across the board. So it felt like a, a safe move and not like a future proofed ish. <laughs> Nothing's totally future proof. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. something we we're pretty good at back then when we made the decision, we weren't amazing at it. We were above average to be honest, you know, five, six years ago. And, uh, so and and it was a process of just shedding things that weren't making money or and also a lot of it was just stuff we really really didn't like doing i could sell websites all day long and it's just like the level of anxiety <laughs> came out of website projects just too much it was too much it, it wasn't worth any amount of, a lot of truth to that yeah so it, yeah. it was very much kind of a combination of things but ultimately the you know, you know, burning the ships in the harbor. In this case, I don't know if you know that that metaphor. Uh, I I do not know that metaphor. That's a new uh, one for me. Well, uh, quick segue. So, uh, the so there's a story, and, and honestly, it's likely a mashup of a lot of different stories because that's how old history is usually retold, but. I think it yeah, was a yeah. Chinese or Japanese uh, admiral or general was working his way south, just conquering coastal city after coastal city after coastal city. And they're crushing it and big armor. They get near the bottom and they're, you know, five, six, seven years into their big campaign. The troops and the sailors are totally worn out and they really just want to go home. And by this time, they're really far from home. So you got a bunch of homesick cranky dudes that really don't want to fight. So the story goes that they they went to their last spot and uh, the general sent some guys back to the ships and set the ships on fire, burned them all. 
and then he told his troops, he says, the, he says, this is our, this is where we're stopping guys. So if you want to go back home, we have to defeat this city and you, then you could go home. And it was a really insurmountable task. It was like 10 to one odds. And they eventually conquered some of the people stayed and never went back home. And I think it's in modern day Macaw. Uh, as I said, a mashup of a lot of stories. I've heard certain stories said that's totally bull. That's cool. Others say that it's totally true. I don't know, but that the idea of burning the ships in the harbor is 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 a uh, is kind of forging commitment, like not making this. That yeah. is a hard yeah. commitment. So this is what we're like gonna I, do. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. So that's how you ended up in the in the email space. Like, hey, this is yep. what we're gonna do, and we're gonna go for it. So I like it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your superpowers then, right? So every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit or a genius intellect, um, or the ability to call thunder down from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is a skill or set of skills that energize everything else that they do, right? Um, it's sort of a, the common thread that runs through all of your other skills. This superpower is what sets you apart and allows you to help people slay their villains in their story, right? And help them come out on top of their journey. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is in your business? It's blending skills, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm not, another another little, a little diversion here, but this is the best way for me to explain it. Uh, in the sword and the stone, right? King Arthur, but the future King Arthur is a young boy, an orphan boy who was sent to get a sword for his, his like bully of a, you know, uh, stepbrother or whatever. And he goes into this empty courtyard and pulls a sword from the stone. The backstory of all that is Merlin finds, finds Wart, the future King Arthur, and transforms him to all these different creatures, into a fish. And as a fish, he learns how to breathe water. You know, as a bird, he learns how to look with uh, monocular versus uh, binocular vision. You know, as a snake, he learns how to use the stomach muscles. As an insect, he learns how to see differently and fly differently. And, you know, so he learns all these different things. And when he first tries to pull the sword from the stone, he can't do it. And the ghosts of all of these different creatures that had been his teachers helped him and coached him on how to combine the skills just right to pull the sword from the stone. So for me, email is an area that I ended up because it blended psychology, a lot of psychology, sales, and and just writing. So you know, storytelling, the actual yeah. craft of writing, and uh, to, it's a lot less businessy <laughs> marketing than people think. It's probably like ten percent marketing and ninety percent those other things. But that's it's mostly just out of necessity. I had to do that. Like I, like you know, I remember going to to sell a website and Facebook package to one of my first clients, and I didn't, I had didn't have any money, and I had enough gas to get to the appointment, but not back. And I still, I hadn't had the daughter at daycare. So you had to sell. I knew that I had to close the deal and get paid on the spot. Otherwise, I couldn't put gas in my car and pick up my kid from daycare and get home. So those kinds of situations like taught me how to sell, 
you know, and then over the years, I've, I've had countless teachers and mentors and people that have taught me different complementary skills. Uh, but I would say that at the moment, uh, you know, psychology and mythology are probably the two that I rely on the most to be able to convince a stranger to click on something or open something. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, it reminds me of a, uh, a book that I read uh, just recently for, by Scott Adams. He's the author of the Dilbert comics. Yep. Um, and he has a book that just came out called, uh, I think it's called Win Bigly, right? How to Fail at Everything in Life and Still Succeed. Um, and which I thought was a great title. But uh, one of the concepts he talks about in that book is how to become a world class at anything. And the thing that he talks about is blending skills. Right. And he's like, if you if you become like to become the best in the world in one thing um, mm -hmm. is really, really difficult because there's so many people who are so good at so many things. Right. And so to become world class in one thing, that's really difficult. But if you take that and you marry two skills together and um, and, you you know, if you become in the top 10 percent on two skills, mm -hmm. now you're you're in the top 20 percent in the world, which is really easy. Nice. And if you take that and you do three skills, you're really good here and really good here and really good here. And you get into the top 10 percent of three different skills where those three intersect. You're probably in the top one percent of the world of people who can do what you do. Right. And have mm -hmm. the, that uh, that mashup of skills. Um, yeah. And so he talks about he calls it skill stacking. Right. And I was like, it's the same yeah. kind of thing. Right. You stack a couple of skills, get really, really good. You know, which it's not it's not difficult to get into the top ten percent skill wise in any particular field. Um, but when getting you those from together the ten percent to the top one percent, world class, really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's right. where you know coming in and and when you can combine psychology and combine sales and combine that with writing and put it together in email, that's you you know you can become one of the best in the world, right? And like I said earlier, you guys have been featured all over the place with Inbox Attack. So yeah, no, we, we're sounds we're, like you're, uh, we're you're on that still, path. We we it's interesting like you're in the the podcast ecosystem right, and that that idea of building status. There are certain industries and certain disciplines, certain arts, if you will, that it isn't a pointy pyramid. There isn't one person at top. It's more of like a plateau, <laughs> like a like yeah. a like a like a yeah, pyramid. Like everyone's up there. Yeah, and that's where I feel like I'm at right now. I'm, you know, For the SoCal people, the Santa Rosa Plateau. That's right. I, I, man, I spent my my, uh, my best friend in like the second or third grade got bitten in the shin by a baby rattlesnake on the Santa Rosa Plateau. They had to be airlifted out. Ooh, he, was, nice. he was like a celebrity at this school for a while. Yeah, yeah, total, total, yeah. not relevant at all story, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but that, so that's you think the thing, email is like, sort of like that as a plateau. Yeah. What's that? And so he's like being at the top of the email game. You're sort of at the top of a plateau of a bunch. Of yeah, and that, companies and that's that the thing there. that yeah that we're looking at right now is like okay, so we're amongst all these like I would say ten to twenty, you know, people and agencies and teams and thought leaders that are I'll consider all pretty badass at email, you know. So so do I move up that way or do I make my own little tower over here? Like just B2B email or is e-commerce email or creative email or nurturing email, or do I add a different skill set, like the blending, like into like SMS, which is a big, big thing right now. I don't know. I don't know. We're doing a lot of experimentation right now and seeing what sticks. So I, 
Yeah, I wish yeah. I knew. I, well, I wish I knew what it, it was going to take to actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're all. It, it's an interesting game that you have to play once you sort of get to the, you know, to the top, right? Because how do you go to the next level? And especially, like, what does that look like? You know, maybe. Well, I like that, that metaphor. Of, you know, it, right? now you're building a tower on top of the plateau. Yeah, yeah. who even measures it, right? Like, it's hard enough. Like with with emails, like oh, I've got a gazillion subscribers or a you know a trillion billion followers and likes and you know i've got this a clout score when that was a thing and all these different ways of measuring it and you look at podcasts and say like someone asked me the other day like well i'm thinking about like getting into podcast dates so like what's like a like who's got the best podcast in this category i said i have no idea like could we just look up the amount of yeah. downloads a half i was like not really no you're gonna have to like, like, um, like, kind of duct tape together like, like fifteen to twenty different databases to get a kind of accurate yeah. picture. And so, and what's interesting is like because we're in the podcast space ourselves, mm-hmm. um, you have podcasters that are podcasting for different reasons, right? So you have podcasters who are podcasting because they want to be a local celebrity and all they're looking to do is get known in an area and you have people who are looking to top charts and you have looking to people who are trying to build a um, advertising revenue right so you know your big political channels and whatnot that are you know they're they're basing their whole revenue on advertising and whatnot and so that's all viewership Um, and they're they're entirely different goals like my show benefits my business whether or not we have viewers um right and so like oh yeah i get the, that. the metrics for measuring the success of our show are very different than someone whose whose uh, revenue is dependent on their viewership so yep. you know no, it's, I it's really hard to measure that kind of stuff yeah i know and maybe maybe so. that's a good thing that it can't be easily measured because as soon as you could measure it you could you could game the system and hack it you could like cloud scores and you People can have that it up, nobody's right? were able to get really high cloud scores <laughs> they hacked it immediately they were able to not hack it but you know uh you know uh optimize <laughs> creatively optimize yeah that's the uh that's the thing about algorithms and ai is we're just not anywhere near to the point where ai is intelligent enough not to be gamed even by dumb humans um so <laughs> yeah uh, we're we're a ways away from from that well, marketers do ruin everything. Oh. I thought it was just, you know, a, a, a clever little saying, but I actually believe that now. <laughs> Anything digital. Yeah, the longer you spend, as soon as a marketer gets his hand on it, it's done. It's done. I'm probably responsible yeah, the, for a couple of platforms getting shut down. <laughs> the 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 more time you spend in the marketing world, the more you realize that you know marketers are the worst, um, but they're also the oh, yeah. best. So it's it's a it's a weird dichotomy of like. Like you have some of the best products in the world and some of the best services in the world wouldn't exist if it wasn't for great marketing. Um, and the same is true on the worst products in the world that shouldn't even see the light of day. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like the, the, the stuff you see like products, like physical products, the stuff you see at like Walmart and Target, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on the Amazon choice category. Like they're they're all right, but it's not that it's not that they're not amazing. Like, I guess yeah. it's that like it's like the uh, well, that's the new version yes. of the essay on TV label. Yeah, it's like being super okay. <laughs> it's like you're you're like the, the highest level <laughs> of the mediocrity possible. 
I'm super okay. That's, that's a, I love that. I'm super okay. That's a good way to put that. No, I want to make a bunch cool. of t-shirts. I want to move on and talk a little bit about your fatal flaw, right? So if your superpower is the whole blended skills thing, your fatal flaw, you know, is is the flip side of that, right? So every Superman has his kryptonite. Every Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. Um, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, um, something that you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things. It was perfectionism that kept me from shipping product and shipping services and actually getting things out to market. Um, or it was a lack of self-care, which, you know, early in my entrepreneur career, I let uh, my clients walk all over me um, and, uh, and you know, the, all the problems that go along with that. Uh, so things like that. But I think more important than what the flaw is, um, is how you've worked to overcome it or rectify it in your business. So people who are listening might learn a little bit from your experience. Well, I mean, there's past flaws that I think I've, I've solved and current flaws. So those are, it's a, it's a two-part. We're always growing, right? Yeah, I would say past flaws. We talked about niching down before. Uh, is, that, is that fear of specialization? It, it was uh, it. It wasn't as scary as as I may had made it out to be in my head, and I still I I still find myself kind of slip. I have to like check myself, or my business partners will check me. It's like, hey, you remember we don't do that anymore, right, Nate? Remember that? Remember all those awful, awful things that happened and those late nights and chargeback city and bad review city that happened when you when you did that. Remember, uh, you know, so that that and honestly, that spills over into my like actual execution of the work. Like when we're crafting an email campaign for somebody, you know, getting our clients to permission to be really specific with the language and the email. Is so hard because you know, everyone wants to be we talk about heroes right everyone wants deep down they want to be a hero or at least thought of in that sort of a way and but they want to be a hero they want to save the world not just one consumer or one business and that's uh delusional for lack of a better term straight up delusional thinking uh yeah yeah it's it's a fairy tale quite literally it's a fairy tale uh, that's my uh my my favorite example of that is that uh that that starfish story with the kid tossing the starfish into the water and the old man coming by and being like why are you doing that you can't save all of them he's like well it matters to this one and it matters to this one right so you have to learn how to be the hero to the one person you can make a difference for now yeah yeah it's tough I mean, you can't be everything to everybody and that's now I would say current flaw, the one I'm working the most on right now is, you know, my, my original business name was Small Biz Triage, but it wasn't until we shed that name last year and kind of really like with our brand as well, really burned the ships in the harbor and fully committed to, to the email path that I really understood what that meant. <laughs> And of course, in the pandemic, it's people like people that didn't even know what triage was. Everyone knows what it is now, and understanding that they're like when I when someone calls me up and I have a lot of conversation with startups, I want to hire me. And usually, startups are not a no-fly zone, but it's a probably no zone for us. And the reason why is that it's selfishly for the long-term survival of my business i need not just want i need my clients 
to stay in the business. And some of the ideas people pitch to me and try to get me excited about just aren't good ideas. You know, they're, 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 they're actually like, like flawed in a very fundamental area, like not the market, the pricing models wrong, stuff that will absolutely destroy it. But you don't need a crystal ball to be able to determine that well, if, if you do execute that and change nothing else, it's not going to work. Like the math doesn't, doesn't work. And so knowing who to say no to is, is definitely been a flaw of mine. Cause I want so bad to help them out. Like, and they seem so excited when they get on the phone with me It's like, Oh man, it sounds like Nate really knows what he's talking about. This might be the one person that could help us get to this next level and sometimes the issue is that or sometimes people just aren't cut out to run their own business they just there are things that they might get there and i hope for all of their sake that they do make it there and, and reach that dream but i'm not the one i'm i'm not going to be their obi-wan for that because that's therapy not marketing <laughs> Yeah, and it happens a lot. There's a lot of dysfunction there. And so I've been working really hard to, to stay out of the codependency triangle with with clients and, and future clients, you know, uh, vendor partnerships and make sure there's a, a certain level of, like, frankly, this, I mentioned psychology before that plays in there. It's not just a marketing thing. I think it applies a lot to just running a healthy business. Yeah, yeah, it does, um, and it's it's interesting because it's something that I'm I'm currently making a transition like that in our business where we're we're transitioning from what I was I say what I was doing we're still doing it for clients um, where we're helping them build all of their online presence right and building yeah. their pro products and services and doing the instructional design and setting up the funnels and doing all like a whole full yep. service thing for people which um, is super cool and I'm really really good at it and we get really good results for our clients but it's just not scalable and it never will be because of yep the kind of work that we're doing um so it's like a four client maximum thing like at any time and um we are in the process of growing our podcasting agency um which is actually it's going really well but at the same awesome. time when you're sort of like in the middle of that transition you have people coming in on the one side that you're like you're like i can still help them i can do that i have the client space in the roster um and we can we can do all those things but at the same time like the more you do that the more you're like pushing off the growth of your other agency which is scalable and do those kind of things so um you yeah. know and part of that process uh, I, is just I, learning to you know niche I, down I can't agree more. get really That's, really specific about what we're doing yeah i can't agree more that that transition is really and i i know it's hard because i failed at it many 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 times i've tried many times to go to go specific and you know and that's another thing the scaling piece Right now, my, my big rock, my frog, my, my daily frog that I have to eat right now is in order to truly scale what we're doing, I need to create a small army of copywriters. And they likely are going to need to be on payroll. And I'm the guy that 1099mafia.com is mine. I am all about freelancing and freedom and and independence and having people i don't have to babysit and i love it i love the style helps with the overhead and all that stuff but ultimately for me to make make it to the next level i'm gonna have to bring on some permanent staff that aren't partners and that is yeah i've tried before and i failed hard but that is the next step so that's one of the things i'm working on now is that's is, uh 
that's that's funny because that's exactly what I'm doing, right? We just mm-hmm. um, over the last year we've hired our first three people full time, um, and uh, we're working through that right now, and like we're getting everyone full time, um, and realizing that like you know it's a very different world to be in um, where you have staff on. Um, but I think we've sort of unlocked the whole scaling thing because I know like the way we've got all our systems put together now, I can, um, if, if we keep the growth measured, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we can scale ad nauseum, right. So, um, with our, with our agency, because of the, the skill level of the people that we need, um, is not astronomical, right? It's like, there's a nice like a nice medium skill level that should be pretty easy to bring to find people who who can do the work we need to get done um yep. and we can scale that way and it's like as long as we don't like bring in 10 clients at once and blow up our systems we'll be fine <laughs> but we can scale as much as we want which is really a cool place to be but i have to learn that whole new skill set like how to be a ceo and how to build a company culture and how to hire and manage yeah. staff and like how to train other people to manage and hire your staff like so that's like I'm probably just going to hire out right now honestly <laughs> Like, I was like, hey, yeah. can you just do that? You know, I mean, it comes to a point, and that's, that's part of the specialization game is that you truly, the human mind just can't do all those things. There's only, there are, there are actual boundaries, you know? I yeah. mean, skills can be developed over time, but we don't have like 400 years of lifespan yet. Yeah. Right? Uh, I'll probably have to hire a CEO at some point too, because we travel all the time and we'll probably need it at some point. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, as I said, I, I, I want to be able to scale, but ultimately, uh, I know there's still room to just increase margins and, and to deliver better campaigns so that it increases retention. That's the nice thing about us is that we don't, we're not incentive-based, but if we do good work, nine times out of 10, we're rewarded with more work. So it's, it's, it's a, it's nice. a really great yeah. uh but it also means that we don't have any like like one I would consider a ballsy move that we made this this past month is and it's not all live on all our sites yet, but on the B2B side, we're actually getting out of lead gen entirely. And uh, it's in getting out of any there are there's not gonna be any directly offered monthly like you know, monthly recurring subscriptions, which people like but you have to have that. And I'm like, really? Do you though? But it's the type of thinking that, you know, that kind of uh, unconventional thinking that's required to go to the next level. So if I'm going to, if I'm in the top 10% in my space right now, I want to be at the, be at the very top. I, I can't do what everyone else is doing. I, I certainly don't have the funds to outspend them in ads. Uh, some of them just have been at it longer. So they're always going to have more reviews than me. Um, uh, you know, there aren't that many that have as much experience, you know, as far as just volume of work, but you know, it's, it's something that moving into a project based model has been really scary, but it's paying off like the business is healthier now. And it didn't make any sense at the time because of all this advice people give. And this is how it needs to yeah, be. Cause everyone's talking about getting into cash flow. recurring models. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you, you went hired regular employees and most people that are traveling entrepreneurial types, it's just like, you what? You're paying payroll taxes? Really? You know, why don't you just, can't you just pay them out of the table or something? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I wanted uh, real people on the team, building the culture, doing the whole the whole bit, because um, that's what's going to allow us to scale and hit the goals we want to hit. And if you do it right, it actually is enabling our travel. So, well, that that, <laughs> that's, rules, that was a beautiful moment. I don't remember when it was, but that was definitely my. Uh, well, if you want to look at Hero's journey, that that was was my elixir was when I was on one of my road trips. I, I take, used to take tons of road trips. I've been everywhere. And uh, I remember seeing a notification on my phone that one of my guys had taken a sales call, closed the deal, and delivered on it, and gotten a renewal while I was gone. So I wasn't necessary in my business. Magical. And it was just, it wasn't a lot of money. It was probably like a $100 deal or something. I just, I almost started crying. I was like, oh my God, that is so awesome. <laughs> I, I remember uh, something like that happening to me. Um, I was, it was a couple of years ago now, um, but we were running, we were doing that e-commerce thing at the time. And I, uh, my dad and my brother and I went deep sea fishing off of Dana Point down there in SoCal. And I had set it up so that every time a sale was made, um, my phone would make a cha-ching sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the volume turned all the way up. So in my pocket, the phone would ching and yeah. we had just gotten to the point where we were doing some, some stuff that was really kicking and turning. It was going really well. And so like all the way to the, you know, the boat that morning, my phone was chinging and my brother and my dad were like, what the hell's going on? I'm like, Oh, that's money coming into my pocket. And all the way out, we, you know, you could get the cell signal like five miles out to the water and it's just a chinging the whole time while we're out fishing and we get back. And I, uh, my dad was like, how much money did you make while we were fishing? And it was, it was like $1,200 in sales. And it's like, yeah. it paid for the fishing trip that day, paid for our dinner and whatnot, like the whole thing. And, and that was like a moment of changeover for my dad, like understanding, like maybe this whole entrepreneur thing you're doing, isn't so crazy, but <laughs> no, like, <laughs> I just read, it's interesting yeah. you mentioned the parents. We were talking about that before, before the, the show, uh, before the interview and how like parents just really, really don't get it. And interesting in the hero's journey, I'm, I just got the, the latest edition of Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey, which is like a simplified version of the monomyth. Uh, and I'm writing about the, the atonement of the father is one of the things that Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. mapped out as, as being in all of the, the classic stories in history as being a really, really big thing and how in different stories it exhibits in different ways, but ultimately being able to have a parent recognize that the wrong path that you took actually worked out. And not necessarily getting a high five out of the deal, just getting just acknowledgement that you weren't a complete disappointment as a kid. So, but it's like yeah, from like yeah. beginning remember, of time, like caveman specifically, era, it's been a thing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. For you, it was a, it was I, just, I remember specifically, like when I picked my my career for college, and I clicked, I, you know, and then I started doing the business stuff after college. Like my dad didn't like where I went to college, and he was like, "That's," and he like legit told me he was like, "I think that's a dumb idea. You shouldn't do it." And I did it anyways. And, where'd, you, where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to a Bible college, and my dad's right. a scientist, and he was like, he's like, you're not you're like he. Not that he didn't believe or anything like that. He just he was like, you're not going to make good money there. And I was like, well, that's not my plan. <laughs> so anyways, I had like, I, you know, I just continued on my way. And then I started the business up. And he was like, I still don't see how you're going to do this. And, you know, the whole entrepreneur career is very like yeah. all over the place and twirling around. And, you know, so he's 
watched me build and struggle for years. Um, and then, you know, when you finally sort of like hit your groove and start really growing, um, it's still up and down and whatnot. But he's like, I've, I've grown a business that's bigger than he's ever had his income before. And he's like, now he's starting to like see that, that even like, you know, he hit really high level scientists, one of the best in the world at what he did and made good money at it. And, you know, I was still able to in 10 years outpace him what it took his whole life to do. Uh, because that's what you can do with entrepreneurship. Um, and anyways, it was it was an interesting like recognition moment for for both of us. Interesting. Well, so so you went to a Bible college when your dad was a scientist. That sounds like there's, there's another hour worth of stories just in that. That's the those sound like some really <laughs> uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it's a, uh, um, I'm a classically trained preacher. Um, learned a lot about instructional design and persuasion and stuff like that in college. And it, it's, it's actually helped me a lot in growing my business. So it's a, it was not intentional, but um, cool stuff that I learned there that's uh, applied to my business quite a lot. So, I know, I never intended well, to do it. I do want to, uh, <laughs> now it happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to move on a little bit and talk um, talk about your, uh, your common enemy. Um, and so the common enemy is uh, a thing that, uh, you know, every superhero has their arch nemesis, right? It's yeah. a thing that you're constantly fighting against in your world, right? So in the world of business, it takes on a lot of forms, but generally speaking, in the context of your clients, it's a mindset or a flaw that you're constantly having to fight to overcome, right? So if you had your magic wand and you could just bop all your clients on the head right in the beginning of your relationship and get rid of it, what is that arch nemesis, so to speak, yeah, your common enemy a, that you always have to fight against yeah, your good clients? question. That was a really good question. Uh... Hmm. It was always a laundry list, right, of things that that. But I would say the most common thing that I see is I wish my clients were more willing to write like they talk. Uh, that that would be that would be the the most. And granted, they might not need me at that point. And some of them are great great just fantastic super sharp on the on their feet you know quick on their feet salespeople to know their product inside and out because it's their thing their baby and but like the second they get to a keyboard it just falls apart and I'd sometimes I'll, hey just talk and i'll type just talk and let me type and it's not that's not scalable you know because that's uh, because it you know it makes it seem less magical to, although we tell you put into writing a three three sentence email but uh I would say that. Yeah, yeah that's it. Human. And if you don't know how to talk, that's like, an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thing too, because like all the way through school, like mm -hmm. from the very early age, they teach you how to write, um, and that how to write is how to write academically, right? It's not how to write the way that actually is persuasive, meaning that you get someone to actually take an action and do something with the thing that they've read, which is an entirely different way to write, and that way of writing is far far closer to how you actually speak to other individuals um so it's like this you have to make this shift in your head that all the rules that you learned about how many sentences are supposed to be in a paragraph and how long sentences should be and how big your words should be and how you should structure everything oh yeah should throw it all out the window and learn how to write like you talk which is a, a, a cool way to put it it's hard now, I, now <laughs> i've seen i think there are certain academics who are fantastic writers like the Heath brothers, Dan and Chip Heath, you know, that did uh, Decisive and Made the Stink and Power of Moments. Like 
the, those guys get it. I mean, they're, they're all, they're, they're very much embedded in the world of academia. And one of them is like a social psychologist. The other one is a researcher of some type. So like their day job has got to be, like for me, it would be painfully, painfully boring. But, you know, they, they do a good job using story to, yeah. to teach, but include enough of the actual hard science to validate that they're just not blowing smoke and i almost wish the people that were good at persuasive writing would take a little more time maybe digging through google scholar and finding some stuff to back up the, the stuff they're saying because some of it is just smoke and mirrors and sometimes you need it sometimes you need to fake it till you make it sometimes that's a, that's a great survival yeah, skill yeah. but it's not a good way to dominate a niche <laughs> uh yeah i have, uh, have one of my favorite about. metaphors one of my favorite metaphors for writing and storytelling and, and the whole marketing bit is that there's there's two sides to it. There's data and there's story, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, all of your how-to information and all the things that you might be talking about and like the data, the, all the stuff that backs up, backs up anything that you're saying is um, it's just it's just nails, right? It's like nails for building a house and you can have a whole bunch of them there. You know, you do need them to build the house, but they're not by themselves, they're not useful. And the stories are what drive the data home. Right, they're what actually they're the hammer that drives the uh, drives the data in, mm-hmm. and so you have to have both. You have to have the ha- the hammer and exactly. the nails. Um, so uh, you know, you have to have both parts of that. No, it's a, I'm gonna have to steal that one. I'm gonna take full credit for you. You'll hear me on some other podcast. Welcome to. This is something I came up with <laughs> the other day. <laughs> it's a little, little something. Uh, um, it was uh, something I stole. So, and I don't remember who I stole it from. So, feel free to steal it again and pass it on. This is a good metaphor. I dig it. Because, um, uh, but I say, yeah, you know, data without stories is, uh, is like a, is nails without a hammer. Mm-hmm. So, so the flip side then of your common enemy is your driving force, right? So if your common enemy is something that you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for. So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it that you fight for with inbox attack? Attention. Actually capturing people's attention. Uh, that one person, because email is still a one-on-one uh, medium. It could be set in mass, but but it's an experience in someone's personal inbox. So it's the it's the it's trying it's trying battling for their attention. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and some interesting like things that popped into my head when you said that too, right? So the first one is that uh, uh you know it doesn't really matter what business you're in. The mm-hmm. business you're in is the attention business, right? So everyone's in the attention business, whether they know it or not. Um, and yeah. the second thing you said, which really I think is a key point, is that the the email is experienced, right? It's experienced in the inbox. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me about that is uh, is this idea that like you only ever write half the experience. The other half of the experience happens when someone reads it and engages with it and it comes alive in their mind, right? So mm-hmm. you have to sort of like, you have to think that way. You have to think about the way that this is going to come to fruition with the the other person on the other end yeah i i, I tried years ago we we're running a uh it was like a black friday campaign for a online store selling accessories or something like uh fashion accessories i think i don't even remember to be honest but i i asked them to um to a, for a call to action to ask for a reply. They're like, Nate, we've got 25,000 subscribers. I don't want 
thousands of emails in my inbox that I need to reply to. That's like the dumbest idea ever. He was like, he was angry that I even suggested it. And I would love to have that problem. Like getting, first of all, that high of a reply rate, getting thousands of replies to would be amazing. would be pretty awesome. Right? That aren't out of office replies or opt outs would be amazing. But you're going to learn so much more than click data. And it's going to take yeah. time. Yeah, It'll take really a long are. time to go through all that. But it's, it's still faster than, than just looking at zeros and ones uh, and trying to guess. You just ask people what they want. You know, what, 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 what do you want to buy from me? Like, there you go. There's the question. There's the question. What do you want to buy from me? So <laughs> answer me that. Uh, so, I mean, for me, that's, you know, that, that would be like a weird, like, dream project. But you're asking, like, you know, what the driving force is. It's not just attention. It's really earning the attention. So doing the work necessary from a psychology standpoint and a timing standpoint and a targeting standpoint. So that person, they don't necessarily have to feel they were singled out in the crowd. And I was like, yeah, I saw you in the sea of people in this big concert hall. And I saw you from across the room and I just, I had to, I had to wade through everyone just to talk to you. It's not always going to be like that, but it sometimes can be in, in the B2B email space. But, but that feeling that level of, of attention. It's uh, that, that someone actually took a little extra work to find out where I lived. And even though you and I know that's, that's called a data enrichment tool, <laughs> it could figure out where people live with different like cloud tools that still takes money and time and attention to do it. And that's the thing that, that it's, it's hard and it, it actually reduces ROI, but that's not the point always the point is like if you connect with another human being in a, in a really stale digital setting in a way that that you know changes their emotional state a little bit like being able to change someone's emotional state with like eight lines of text and then in a sea of emails in their inbox that's that's yeah, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's pretty big and then and that's that's a relationship changing thing, like where they remember you, and it may not have an immediate ROI, but it, it, long term it will ROI. Yeah, and that's that's it's, uh, you know, but it's hard, like right. But that that's what the that that is the ultimate win. That is the sword and the stone moment. Pulling the sword from the stone is when we're able to combine everything in a way that people they get the email and it and it changes their emotional state. To the point that they act on it with a click, yeah. a reply, a phone call, or a share, something, some form of action. Because people have thoughts and emotions running in their mind all the time. But to be able to go to a stranger or someone you don't really know, that just they're just a customer, and be able to, to convince them to do something that they wouldn't normally do, it's hard. But to do it in a way and then have them thank you for it later as well. I mean, I've got, I, you know, I know that I've done a really good job in a campaign is when someone sends an opt-out email. So we'll send out a campaign for them. They send it out. It's like, yeah, hey, I don't want this news on anymore. I really appreciate you reaching out though. Like that means that then we know we got it. Cause if there's, if they're taking the time nice. to let us down easy, we're good. We're good. You're doing something right. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Cool. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about some practical things in running your business, right? We call this your your hero's tool belt, right? Just like every superhero has their uh, tool belt with awesome gadgets mm -hmm. like batarangs or, uh, you know, web slingers or, uh, you know, laser eyes or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I'm talking about t top one or two tools that you use in your business that you couldn't live without, right? So it could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to your marketing tools to something you use to do your product delivery or maybe a template you use to write your emails, whatever it is, something that you think find essential to get your job done. Top one or two things that come to mind that you're like, you know what, I couldn't run my business without these. Block apps. Block apps. Uh, Block apps? I don't even know what that is. APPS. It's That's like the gun, right? Tool. Yeah, it's an inbox placement tool. Okay, it's and really what does it nice do? To be able to figure out how emails behave in other different sorts of inboxes, so it helps remove a lot of the mystery from from email marketing. Yeah, Glock Apps is fantastic, and no, I don't have an affiliate program with them. They're just it's this best bang for the buck tool out there. We use it on both sides of the business. Uh, I really like Duck Soup. It's a LinkedIn extension. Well, a Chrome extension for LinkedIn for doing LinkedIn outreach. It's uh, not very fancy. Its analytics are awful. It doesn't have a dashboard. It has all these things wrong with it, but it's like my favorite chair. It just, it's so nice just to be able to reach out to people in a slightly personalized way and not have to copy and paste over and over and over and over again. So Duck Soup, D-U-X-S-O-U-P, I use a lot. Uh, I would say... Big fans of Mailshake. Uh, Mailshake is a, a email platform on the cold email side that really accessible to small business owners. It's uh, to cold reach out to people. Yeah, that's how I reached out to you. So, yep, nice, nice. Um, so we you probably would have reached out to uh, all, all my, the stuff uh, I'm talking about. We use to connect with you. So. Uh, yeah, and we also had someone like stalk you for a while too. That is part of the whole podcast game. Is like, so just really stalk this person to the point of creeping them out, then ask to be on their show. <laughs> that works don't out. Do that. Um, so what's <laughs> no one do that? What's what's fun about all that is uh is is you probably worked with my uh my podcast uh, uh the guy who's in charge of my podcast who handles all of those things. So I didn't see any of it until uh until the actual interview portion. Um, cause you know, I've got to keep myself away from all the crazy stalkers. I got the insulation, <laughs> your digital, digital blanket. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested on, on the, uh, the duck soup stuff. So I know you guys focus mainly on email, um, but you've mentioned LinkedIn a couple of times. So do you, are you, are you treating LinkedIn like messaging, like an email platform? Mm, no, it's mainly just connecting. We'll just do a personalized small batches or not like trying to push out 10,000 connection requests in a month or whatever. That's LinkedIn will shut that down more often than not. But say like, say I'm trying to connect with, you know, VP of e-commerce at mid-size retail companies. And I find, you know, 200 of them that I want to reach out to. I would create, I would create a, a, you know, a target inside of LinkedIn reach, try to connect with them, say maybe 20% of them accept the connection request. And a couple of weeks later, we'll send them some emails. That's the main thing different that we do is we, after we connect on LinkedIn, we'll wait a week or two, sometimes even three weeks before we follow up via email because, uh, uh, 
we, we need to really prove to that prospect that one, we're legitimately busy. Two, they're not in some super aggressive automation. And three, that we have restraint. Sean, restraint is so yeah. hard. People want so much. Oh my goodness. Somebody simply connects for us. I need to reply to them right now. Oh my God. I'm like, no, you really don't. Okay. And if someone says, oh, like three weeks is probably waiting too long, but I wait in a week or two is no big deal. Like people are busy and I'm legitimately that busy with my stuff. I just launched a campaign on Monday. I'm going to try to follow up with some of them on Friday, maybe. But that's how regular humans yeah, work. Yeah. So like, why would I want my automation and to move faster than a human would move? Uh, my uh, my thing that fascinates me about how how I get treated on LinkedIn by all the people who are doing the aggressive automation stuff, I was like, I I would never speak to someone like in a human conversation the way that I get spoken to on LinkedIn by some of these aggressive automations that people put out. And I'm like, I don't like what are you trying to accomplish? Because if you're trying to get me to do business with you, the what you're accomplishing is getting me to ignore you. <laughs> thing is, though, interestingly enough, you run the analytics and like do testing on these things, there are still people that convert with those awful automations. And that's hard to deal with sometimes yeah, yeah. knowing that, well, I went and did this other, like, I bought some templates off of AppSumo and just copy and pasted them into this platform and, and, and ran it. And, and I, I got like eight clients off of it. And I was like, man, you got messed up some really dumb clients. <laughs> but I hate saying that though, because the reality <laughs> is, is some people are okay being sold to that way. And some people yeah, yeah. don't like clever subject lines. Some people don't, they don't, they don't care. They just don't care. Yeah. So, so it's one of those, like, you just have to know how you want to run your business. And sometimes if they make you feel icky. You don't want to do it. I'm sure I've made plenty of people feel like you with campaigns that I've set, but and one of the things that you mentioned tools this is more of a tactic that I just, man, whether or not people hire me, I don't care. You got to stop sending breakup emails. The, okay, I've tried five times now to get you to reply or, or onto my email or click on this landing page link and fill out this form. So you must be really busy. I'm so sorry. You must be so busy. I'm not going to bother you anymore. Like, really? I just don't, we don't do breakup. Don't do breakup emails. It's a, it's a better just yeah. to let that one die on the vine. You don't need to, you don't need to, you know, be doing that. We do, uh, we do engagement campaigns um, where if people uh, stop engaging with emails um, because, and you probably know this because you do email for a living, that uh, um, if your engagement starts to drop too much, um, then your deliverab deliverability suffers. Because um, the ISPs will start sticking you into other places. Um, so we have most of the clients that we work with when we set up some of the automations for like webinars and other things that, mm -hmm. you know, you, when you have a free opt-in list, you'll, you'll grow an opt-in list significantly with ad spend. And you're putting all these new people on who haven't vetted themselves from an engagement standpoint yet. And I always, the thing I try to teach my, my clients is, is like, you may have paid for them to come be on your list as a lead, but they haven't earned their place on your list yet. Um, mm, and so phrase. I try to teach like them that. to like think that way. Yeah, it's like they have to earn their place on your list by showing that they're willing to engage, open, click these kind of things. Um, and it, you know, the first week of content is all designed to create engagement. And anyone that doesn't yeah. engage, we kick them off. We just unsubscribe them from our list and get rid of them. Doesn't matter what you paid for them because 
um, they will kill your deliverability and all the people that are engaging with you and actually are going to buy from you in the future won't see your emails. Um, and it'll actually you know make you suffer longer term. So yeah, and it's and ultimately that's how, how we deal the, with it. You know, sound like a human, right? It, it's that like I don't think people yeah. need to be so shy about hey, I want to sell you something. I did. I did. I spent weeks trying to, to find the type of people that that would like this particular thing at this particular time. I think you might be that person. Here's what I got. Like it's like you don't need to. That's one of the reasons I I didn't mention marketing in my little triad of skills because I think sales uh, having sales skills is way 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 more important to to email than having marketing skills. So it's like your background. Um, I think sales skills are teaching is way more valuable than marketing. So the uh, I tell people all the time that uh, that marketing is nothing without sales. Um, and when I worked in the corporate world, the first thing that I did, I was a director of marketing for a company. And the first thing that I did was I got the hold of the uh, director of sales and I was like, Hey, our teams either work together or I quit. <laughs> um, and, and it's like, we built all of our marketing stuff around empowering the sales team to do a better job, what they were doing. Um, yep. and so anyways, it was, a, um, it was, a you know, it was fancy, fancy stuff. We, we managed to drastically improve their business because we did that and it was the idea that hey it's not it's not marketing and sales it's marketing supports sales or it doesn't do anything at all (laughs) i've got clients that don't even have sales teams and i have clients that have marketing teams and i have clients that don't have anyone doing sales or marketing which and they're big you know bringing in like half you know some of them are like bringing in you know five to ten million dollars a year it blows my mind. I like, as I said, like for every one of these things, I think I'm like, yeah, but how do those people do it? But I think they have inherent sales skills. Like magic. But or magic. Yeah. Magic sales stuff. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the Hero Show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. It's all magic. Cool. So two more questions for you here on the show. 
So next one is your own personal heroes, right? So every hero has their mentors, right? Frodo has Gandalf, Luke has Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki has his rich dad. Um, you know, Spider-Man is an Uncle Ben. So who were some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, speakers, authors, peers were a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in growing your business? I would say that uh, John Jacobson, the guy that uh, taught me at the film school, that screenwriting school I talked about, I learned so much from him. And I still, I just brought, I hired him back, hired him recently just to give me one-on-one coaching to help level up my writing skills again, just to stay sharp with the story structure and storytelling skills. Uh, but in business and, and just his demeanor and how he taught, he's such, such a good teacher. He just really understood how to crawl into people's brains and get them to remember stuff. Uh, he was yeah. a good mentor for sure. That's cool. I, I, I feel like I need to uh, to do something with that. And like, I'm pretty good at the whole storytelling thing myself, but hiring someone and just, you know, really polishing those skills, I think could do nothing but good for my business. It's, ha- in the future. it's hard to spend money on stuff. And I'm, when I teach it too. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's part of the deal. Like even Eric Clapton would, you know, get, you know, take guitar playing lessons from BB King. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like ever, any you're not growing, you're dying, or, right? What's that? I said, if you're not growing, you're dying. Allegedly. Unless it, I feel like I need to sleep sometimes and just skip the growing part. Just more sleep would be great. <laughs> but uh, what's funny about that is you grow yeah. the most while you're asleep. Like legitimately, your body grows while you sleep. So at least all my kids do. Well, I that's right. I put the them to bed at night at one size. Right? The cells regenerate. Yeah. There's all sorts of other magic that happens there. Uh, I would also say that I've got a bunch of books behind me. Uh, I mentioned the Heath brothers. If mm-hmm. I, I doubt they're listening to this podcast, but I really want to be mentored by both of you. <laughs> they, they really <laughs> like, as I said, that, that, that confluence of writing and teaching and, and science. Oh, it's, I, I want to be able to write that good. Like it's, I'm going to write that good. Is that even correct English? I don't know. So, That's all right. You're not writing right now. You're speaking. But maybe it's, maybe someday you'll get them to, uh, to uh, uh, mentor you. Yeah. That'd be fun. No, I'm, cool. yeah, I'm a so, big fan of them. And, uh, and honestly, like, just I've had so many weird little, and in some cases, unwilling teachers in my life that have taught me all sorts of things. So I... Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating yeah. as you... As you grow in your life and your business, you realize how many people you learn from. And like then you realize that like those some of those people probably don't even know that they were heroes or mentors to you. Um, yeah. and it's, no, sort of, it's, it's interesting how that impacts your thinking, like or at least how it impacts mine, realizing that like I, I should probably live my life in a way that the people who are looking up to me that I don't realize that I'm actually worthy of that. That's uh that's some deep psychology right there. Worthiness. There's a whole <laughs> whole different no, it's true. Like, like that, that there are certain fundamental things that everyone wants and everyone wants to feel worthy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And marketers would you say to, uh, value, but I don't like that word. And they just want to feel worthy. So they want to feel worthy. That's very true. Cool. So my last question for you then is your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He always brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about top one or two principles that you use regularly in your life, maybe something that you wish you knew when you started out on your own hero's journey. 
one of my mentors, Anthony Honorino, guy that writes the the sales blog, he uh, uh, he does this annual thing, and I think it came from somewhere else. He he hasn't taken credit for it. Called my three words, and it simplifies like your goals for the year, your theme of your life down to three words. And for me, right now, it's simplify, systematize, and surge. So simplify, systematize, and surge. So take the big, scary, complex problem and and make it real simple. And that doesn't always mean breaking it up in smaller pieces. Sometimes it's just describing it in a more simple way. Like that piece of machinery no longer works, right? Not yeah. my, my life story about how that not working is, is making it hard for me to feed my kids systematize which is something you're going through right now is building systems to scale uh but it but for me it also means looking at what pre-existing systems frameworks models exist to solve that problem i don't need to like invent a new solution for every single problem in my life or in some cases i could just call someone and ask hey do you have like a system or approach in fixing this problem and then surge once that's implemented then punch the gas pedal back in and, and, and get moving and and not you mentioned the perfectionism thing not overthink it uh because you're gonna yeah. break down again and have to do it all again eventually anyways uh regardless of how good you are but those are the things that i yeah, that i'm yeah. using a lot right now so i like that i might have to uh, steal that put up on my wall or something because it feels like that would really help our growth strategy is like hey because it's like it's legitimately what i'm working on right now is like let's simplify everything in the business down to like we're doing this one thing we're going to do it really well we're going to build all the systems for it and we're almost to the point where we're ready to put our foot on the gas pedal um and really grow so that should be fun yeah i'm excited to see what happens like as i said we're both in different parts of the podcast ecosystem so it's uh it's yeah. in my best interest for you to do well. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, that's basically a wrap on our interview, Nate. Um, but I do finish off every interview with a simple challenge, right? Um, okay. Something I call the Heroes Challenge. And it is a selfish thing I do, basically, to get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why should they come share their story on our show? First person that comes to your mind. Chris Martinez from the Dude Agency. He interviewed me on okay. his podcast, like, and I did some other business dealings with him earlier this year. Uh, he runs a business out of Tijuana, Mexico. And oh, that's cool. He's like, he's like a, like a really, he, he doesn't come off as like a systems badass, but he is so good at systems like but he's like a super chill guy like you like you know like you know crack a couple of coronas at a you know a little dive bar and you just you know just jam for a couple hours but like when he's good his systems part of his mind is really uh it's i'm a little jealous because he's a little younger than me and a little younger in business but he's doing like like his like the, what he's able to do with being able to scale up this web development business and 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 just the amount of headcount he's having to manage now, it's, I'm blown away like by how he does it. So, yeah, yeah, Chris Martinez, dude, agency. He's, he's that's cool, awesome. So yeah. we'll we'll reach out after the show and see if we can get an introduction for that. That'll be cool. No, I'll, yeah, um, I'll and it. so yeah, yeah, yeah. So in comic books, 
there's always the crowd of people who are standing along cheering for the hero um, and for their their work and their acts of heroism. So as we close, what I want to do is find out where people can find you, right? So where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Nate, I really need your help with our email marketing. I think more importantly, where they can find you is who are the right types of people to actually light up the bat signal and say, you know what, we need your help. If, if you're a business struggling with email, an established business struggling with email, startups is a different thing. But uh, yeah, if, you, if you've been in business, you got something you're selling and email's not working for you anymore or you need it to start working because your other thing, like your Google pay-per-click or your referral structure is not doing well, then that would be a good fit. You just got to get a hold of me as email, actually. Nate at inboxattack.com. Just email me. I do check it every day. So, awesome. uh, yeah, I, sometimes I used to send people to my website, but I it causes anxiety for me. I was like, what if they get the wrong impression when they're on the website? I have a lot of, like, <laughs> deep psychological, <laughs> you know, uh, self-conscious behaviors surrounding my websites. Uh, but Nate at inboxattack.com is the easiest way. Awesome. So. Cool. So we'll make sure that email gets in the show notes for this episode. And Nate, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today with our audience. Before we hit this little stop record button, you have any final words of wisdom for people listening to the show? No, just stay human. All the technology in the world uh, doesn't, doesn't change the fact that we're all still human. So I, I, I say leave that misspelling in there. Leave the misspelling in just, just, just to see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I actually, uh, I've had, I've had a number of times where like a client will get upset with us for like misspelling here or something going wrong there, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but we got significantly better results because of the misspelling. So was it intentional, or was it just because we're human and that's the way that life goes? Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes the apology email is just another excuse to reach out. Amen. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Nate. I appreciate it. All right, take it easy, Richard.